Well, welcome to Aspen Chapel's podcast on Sunday, the 4th of September. Today is the second of our series that we're looking on the journey of life. Last week, we looked at the idea of starting out. And this week, we're looking at coming to your senses. And we begin with the story of the prodigal son. And I'd like to welcome you all. This is the second uh, in a series that we're doing on living the journey of life. This, this particular service, the second one we're doing on this. Um, and last week, when we started this little series, we talked about starting out again. That idea that we have to continually recommit ourselves to the journey and really not let ourselves get complacent in our spiritual life. And it's so easy to go through the motions, especially with your spiritual life. You know, you just, you just keep turning up or doing stuff because that's all you've ever done. You just hope things are going to be okay. But when you do that, when you just go through the motions, it's bound to lead to disillusionment when you do that. It's bound to lead to disillusionment as we gradually realize that as individuals, we're not transforming. We're not developing. And more than that, if you're not developing and you're not transforming, you're going to be shrinking because nothing stays the same. And in a spiritual life, the result is that we give up. You know, we give up our meditation practice or whatever we do. We give up coming to the chapel. We give up thinking about our spiritual lives, you know, thinking it's going to make any difference at all. And unless it's fresh, unless it's continually committed to, you do get to that point of disillusionment. And it's always good, and we talked a bit about last week, of recommitting yourselves to it, of going again and saying, look, this is important. I'm going to make a difference in this, and to keep that life fresh so that you can actually experience the transformation as it occurs, you know, to feel that, to have it as an intention. Someone asked me, I did a book signing last week at Explore. They said, what are the three things that you need to develop your spiritual life? And the first one was to state an intention. You have to have an intention to go forward spiritually. Without that intention, you're just drifting. You're just thinking, oh, I hope it's going to be good. I hope it's going to be okay. But if you've got the intention, you're committed I love that joke about, you know, bacon and eggs. You know, the pig's committed, the hen's not. (laughs) Much better to be a pig in the breakfast than a hen who just drops the egg and just waddles off again. So last week I talked about three steps. Uh, Not to heaven, (laughs) three steps. First of all, and these are the three steps we're going to be looking at over the next period of time. First step is holding your nerve. This is what I'm saying, the three steps, really, in the spiritual life. First of all, holding a nerve. Secondly, putting one foot in front of the other. That's the second step. And the third step is responding to circumstances in a loving way. I think that those are the three steps in the progress of our spiritual life. And today we're going to look at that first step, that first step, which is holding your nerve. Or as I put it on the service sheet, coming to your senses. Because... If you're going to start off on a journey, on that spiritual journey, we have to be able to do it. And it really makes sense from a position of sanity, which is balancing what's going on out there and what's going on in here. The thoughts and feelings that are going on here, the emotions that what's going on here has to balance with the circumstances that are coming your way. And if they don't balance, it's chaos. If they don't balance, it just doesn't work. You just feel like you're just wandering about to know what you're doing. This lovely story in Rumi, uh, he comes up with this lovely story. It's 4 a.m. Nasruddin leaves the tavern 
and walks the town aimlessly. A policeman stops him. Why are you wandering the streets in the middle of the night? Sir, replies Nasruddin, if I knew the answer to that question, I would have been home some time ago. (laughs) And often we just don't know. You know, we don't know the answer. We have to balance all the things that are coming our way in our lives and be able to respond to them appropriately. I love the idea of the similarity of the situation, the similarity between when you're dead and when you're being stupid. The similarity when you're dead and when you're being stupid. When you're dead, you don't know you're dead. It's only painful for those people around you. And the same applies when you're stupid. (laughs) You don't know you're being stupid. And it's incredibly painful for all of us around you. You can see it in others, but it's so much more difficult to see it in yourself. And coming to your senses means that you come to a place where you don't have that blind spot of stupidity but can make sense of what's before you. You come to your senses. It's then that you can hold your nerve when you've come to your senses. Do it if you're not in a sensible position. If you're, do it and you're not sane and everything's going to go wrong. There's no point in setting out unless you're, you're there. So we're going to be talking about that. From Luke 15. <clears throat> Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks. Now that word sanity comes from the French word sanité, which means health. And all we're talking about in coming to your senses is coming into a place of health. And I think this story of the prodigal son really illustrates what happens when we're not in our right mind, when we're not balancing the inner world and the outer world. He thinks he he knows what's best in his life. So he gets his inheritance and he goes off. Then when he ends up eating food meant for pigs, he comes to his senses. The imbalance between his inner world and the outer world suddenly becomes stark. He sees it and it forces him to put his life back into balance again. And we feel that happening in our lives often. You know, something confronts us. You know, on the extreme, it could be an illness or whatever it is, but something confronts us in our lives and we are forced to come to our senses and to come back to balance again. And, you know, most of us live our lives going out of balance and then being hit with something. Oh, right, okay, get it. And then you're back in balance again. But actually, it is much better to spend your life just in balance all the time and and adjusting as it goes on. And what we're looking at here is getting into that place of sanus, of health, of being in balance. Now, this parable from Jesus is really illustrating the welcoming nature of the divine. That's what I think the parable is actually about. That whatever you've done, the Father, the divine, will welcome you back with open, open arms. And I think that's actually one of the key attractions of Christianity, and there's always a second chance. You know, you're always in the right place to transform. I love that line. It's never too late to become the person that you might have been. It's never too late to become the person you might have been. Every moment provides a fresh opportunity for transformation. But what I'm interested here is not that. I'm interested in the state of mind, the coming to your senses, the balance of the inner world, all that goes on in our hearts and our heads, everything that we process all the time, and the outer world, the stuff that comes at us, the situations and the circumstances that we're confronted with. Because if these two are not in balance, we will spend our lives far-fighting dramas like the prodigal son. And there's no point in holding your nerve when the nerve you're holding is going to lead to disaster. The key aspects in those three steps, holding your nerve, putting one foot in front of the other and responding to circumstances in a loving way is starting out 
in the right place. And it only works if you've already worked on yourself so that you've come to your senses, literally, that you're balancing all the information that your senses are giving you and have arrived at a point of personal humility. Because it's not really about the circumstances. It's about being able to respond to those circumstances in an appropriate way. That's the emphasis. It's not about the circumstances. We worry about the circumstances, but it's not about the circumstances. It's about being able to respond to the circumstances in a loving way, in an appropriate way. And so often all our energy and attention is put on trying to control the circumstances. We strategize and look at what-if scenarios, you know, trying to conjole, influence Well, in reality, you know, we know that the circumstances are completely out of our control. We can't control life. No matter how hard we try, we can't control it. Instead, we should be concentrating on our responses. As I said last week, it's not the problem that's the problem. It's our attitude to the problem. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control your attitude towards what happens to you. You know, we pray, you know, that this or or that might happen. But in fact, what we should be praying for is that we'd be ready to confront whatever happens. Our prayer should be about our ability to respond. It should be about our lives and how we are responding. Holding your nerve is about making sure that we are in balance that we have the humility to realize our true place in the universe, that we're not in control, and therefore we can move forward responsibly to what comes our way. Because most of the time we approach life from an irresponsible perspective, that it's their fault, that they're to blame for our circumstances. Like the prodigal son saying, it's my right to have my inheritance and to make my own way. And the elder brother, you know, he, his irresponsible position, why should my brother be celebrated when he took all the money and wasted it? You know, he, there's not a position of balance there. There's a position of why should? What's the situation here? And there's no point in setting out life with those sorts of attitudes and opinions. Coming to your senses is ultimately really what enlightenment's about. I mean, you know, truly... The nature of enlightenment, as you know, we all study it and try, is about that moment when you truly come to your senses. I mean, there's always going to be a bit of adjustment, but the moment you actually shazam, you know, you're, you're right, that is a true coming to your senses. Knowing your place in relationship to reality, that is what it is. Knowing your place in relationship to reality. Evelyn Underhill, the, the famous writer talking about enlightenment, describes mysticism as the art of union with reality. It's the art of union with reality. And the mystic is the person who has attained that union to a lesser or greater degree, or who aims at attaining it. So having that union of reality, uh, with reality, your balance, the balance here is balanced with what's coming your way. And you're not upset by what goes on. You know, you're not thrown by it. It means union with the inner and the outer, so that what's going on perfectly mirrors what's going on in here, and they're both congruent. In the Dhammapada, the sayings of the Buddha, it says, the wind cannot 
overturn the mountain. Temptation cannot touch a man who is awake, strong and humble, who masters himself and minds the law. If a man's thoughts are muddy, if he is reckless and full of deceit, how can he wear the yellow robe? Whoever masters his own nature, bright, clear and true, she may indeed wear the yellow robe. Whoever masters his own nature. And that's the key aspect to coming to your senses. It's mastering your own nature. Not being affected by your thoughts and feelings. Each of us has got a different nature. Each person in this room, your nature is different. And you know, in mastering your nature, you've got to master your past. All the stuff that's happened to you. Because it'll come back and bite you in the present if you don't master that. You've got to master your needs. The yearnings that you've got that that make you go and do stuff. You've got to master your desires. You've got to master your thoughts. You you, You can see there is a lifetime of work in it, but that is the job. That is the task in life. Otherwise, it's the tail wagging the dog. Otherwise, it's all the stuff that's going on in your life making you do stuff. And then you wonder why it all happens all over again. You wonder why you're miserable. When it's not you that's doing it, it's all the stuff that you haven't mastered that's doing it. And to do that, you've got to be conscious of your thoughts and your feelings. You've got to be in that space where you're conscious of it, to be conscious of your reactions and not be at the effect of them. To master our own nature is to acknowledge who we truly are, what our past has made us, what our mind has made of our past. And to be able to let all of that go, to forgive ourselves, and that's so key, to forgive ourselves for who we are and for others of what what they may have done to us or continue to do to us. We have to forgive them. Otherwise, we're out there being done to by them. The forgiveness is the letting go. It It allows us to master ourselves. We don't enter into the blame. And each one is different. For each of us, it's a different thing to master. And then, when we've done that, and only then, can we drop that which separates us from reality. When we drop all that stuff, that's all the stuff that's in the way between us and reality. When we let go of our attachment to our mind, our feelings, and the outcome of our circumstances, then the universe blows through us. The universe, we become just an empty vessel for love to blow through us. There's nothing in the way. And that's the place we have to get into. All the stuff is not it. However important you think it is, it's not it. What is it is to let go of that stuff and allow the universe to literally blow through you. You have to become part of that which creates you. You have to become part of it. That which creates us and that which creates all that's before us. We have to become one with the living universe. It sounds like corny, but that is it. You have to allow it to be. The thing that stops us being one with everything, all that sort of spiritual trite, the thing that stops you is the stuff inside that you haven't let go of. When you let go of that, you do 
allow that living universe to blow through you, not filtering it through your nature, through your likes. Oh, I don't like him. I don't like her. You, know, you filter it all and you make your own choices and decisions through your own filtering. But instead of that being blown through bright, allowing the wind of the spirit to create us as it creates all that before us, you know, it's a, just an empty, you know, a creation. We become part of it. You get a sense of it. You know, it's dropping the rest of the stuff. That's what mastering is. And it's at this moment, when you drop it, you have to hold your nerve. That's it. You've got to hold your nerve at that moment. It's like being on a surfboard or on skis. It's that moment. My guru is here, Gary. It's like being on that, that, those skis or that surfboard. We have to allow our lives to be driven by the Spirit. And that takes nerve. The courage that comes just to let go into it. Courage comes to the Greek word, the, the, the word core. That's where it comes from. It means heart. Courage means that which is heartfelt. And holding your nerve takes heart. Balancing on that board, balancing on those skis, holding your nerve as you're driven forward. And you don't quite know where you're going to go. And once you're in that place, once you're actually holding your nerve on that wave, going downhill, whatever it is, then you're ready to start moving. Then you put one foot in front of the other once you're in that place because you are able to move with it. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. So uh, I've just finished here now. <laughs> I never know how to finish. I've finished. <laughs> but that's, that's, holding, that's the first bit, holding your nerve. Let's pray. And, and Bunny, if you are watching... You know, we are praying for you here and we just really pray for you and John and the whole family there with you and uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you and we really hope you get better very soon. And we also, Lord, we do pray for Philip Hodgson, for Patricia Hill, for Barbara Orcutt. These are people, members of our community, Will Welsh, Carly Nelson, Maureen Hirsch, Elise Strickland and her husband Carter, John Waller, Erin Tully, Betsy Ratcliffe, we pray for Marsha Morris, for Tom Isaacs, for, Brit, for Val Britt Karlberg, for David Little, for Bunny Harrison and for the Kennedy family having a difficult time at the moment. Lord, these are people who are important in our community. We just offer you them for healing and also people that we know in our own minds just have a silent moment where people that we know are struggling. We just offer them up to your love. We thank you for our beautiful valley, for this Labor Day weekend, for all those coming in, for the festival, the jazz festival. Pray for safety for all those working in the events up and down the valley. Pray for our visitors. They'll be safe while they're here. Pray for our country at this time of of transition, of elections. We pray for peace and heartfelt communication, that there may be a sense of balance in what's said, in the people that are leading us, and that you may blow through them, and that your creation may be our creation. And we pray for our world struggling with love, trying to work out how to be. Come, Lord, and bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.